Right, it's good to have you at the chapel this morning. Let me tell you, we have a great day planned. I know that uh, there are some of us that are out of town. But let me tell you, I, I believe that today's service, what God has prepared for us, is not by accident. You know, we're, we're believing for some, you know, God to show up. I don't come to church just so that we can get together. I, I love you guys, and uh, I, I want to get together, but I, I come to church to hear some word. that We need some word up in here, don't we? That, that's going to change us and, and put us on the right trajectory, because God has the very best for us. Uh, you know, today, this afternoon, uh, if, if you're a... Uh, a senior, whatever that means, you, you fill in that blank. But we're going to go to Posadas for lunch. And so we're interested, or we're interested, we're excited about just spending some time together at the end of the service and also at Posadas. You know, sometimes enjoying the things that God has provided for us is not a sin. You know that? Amen. You know, right now, Bruno and Mavi are suffering in the island of Hawaii. And, and and let me tell you, I, I look at I look at uh, the couple that's up here in the front, you know, Lisa and Homer, and it looks like God just turned up the the smile indicator, you know, because <laughs> they just got back on a wonderful cruise uh, around the world, or maybe Caribbean, but same thing, and, and enjoy life to the full. It isn't really at the end of the day that's what we're all looking for. Come on, be honest. We're looking for the abundant life. The, the world looks for, people that aren't even believers are looking for the, the excitement, the abundant life to the full, to the overflow. They're looking for freedom in their life and satisfaction. And that's a state change. Now, now stick with me on this because if you're waiting for me to preach, I've already started. Let me, let me, let me just tell you this, that when we're looking for that, it, sometimes we're, we're looking all of our life never realizing that we're in it. Therefore, a man that is blessed, listen, that knows he's blessed is that much more blessed. Amen. Some of you are going to have to chew on that in a minute. The person that is blessed, that knows he's blessed, is that much more blessed. Then he begins to begin to begin to begin, always beginning, and then doing, being thankful. He looks at his life and goes, man, I'm blessed. Have you ever known somebody that has all this, whatever that is, and they go, you know, I just don't have that. When they got all this. This morning, I want you to see this because as we're kind of stepping into a new series, and it's part of the series, uh, I just want to say when we before we start, Alex and Nettie were going to be here this morning to be able to speak on Cambodia, and, and I believe that's important, and they're going to get an opportunity in the future to do that. They're just not able to be here. He's dealing with some health issues, and we're going to pray and believe as we take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service for His healing and complete healing. But you know what? As I began to, to look at the Word of God of what I'd planned next week, God says, I, I, got a, I got a message that's before that message. And the people that are coming on that Sunday, John, it's for them. So, so look at this as I go through this, as it's for you. As a believer, we realize that God has promises and as we've talked about in the weeks, as Brianna and Gwen has spoke the last few weeks on the beginning of this part of the series on the authority of the believer. This part gets me excited because it's not just who God says that I am, but what He has promised me because I'm part of His covenant. I've got to slow down because I'm already in the middle of it. I can see it. When we as believers are walking around talking to people all day and all night that are not believers or that they're believers, there's certain things that we know because of who we are. And we've already established that through the series of who does God say that He is, not somebody else. And God says, I, I can tell you all the things, and we could go through that whole series again, but I can sum it up by saying He says He's love. And if you realize this, it's not a hippie love. You know what I mean? Please, man. 
There is no fear in love because, again, fear pushes punishment and condemnation. And God says, I'm love. I, I love you. You're my masterpiece before the foundation of the earth to do the good works I've even predestined. I've planned for you to do. So, so when you get your mind around that, all of a sudden you go, wow. Your eyes begin to open up and you begin to see things a different way. God, you're amazing. We start singing amazing grace and all those things that, God, you're just so good to me. But then the next step we've talked about for weeks is who God says that we are. This is our identity. Identity is really, the, the word identity is repeated identity. Repeated who you are, what you do constantly, and who you think you are. The problem is there's a lot of people that are trying to speak into life who you are. That's why it's important to base who we are on who God says that we are. Now again, we hear that from you know children's church on the way. Yeah, yeah. But we it's so easy for our behavior, listen to that, our behavior to drift to the, well, I'm not all that. And sometimes we'll even get as far as false humility. Oh, I'm nothing but a worm, you know. Cut that out. God says, and again, I could tell you everything that He says, but if you sum it up, you are the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Now again, some of you have not got revelation of that, so you go, wow, yeah, good, good, good. The more that God reveals that to you in every aspect, and I mean, you look at it from every angle, you'll begin to go, are you kidding me? That's me? I graduated from Bible school. I just want to let you know. But it, if, if you just catch this, of all that Bible learning and training and all the years of ministry doesn't add up to one powerful revelation of the fact that God calls me righteousness when I'm in Christ Jesus. I don't have time to go there because I, I feel like I got 20 more sermons on. We are the righteousness in Christ Jesus until you get that revelation and it goes, Wah. but this morning I want you to see this because as we're walking in being the righteousness in Christ Jesus, what we're doing day in and day out, our behavior, what's coming out of our mouth, if we are not being transformed or if we're transformed, there, there's indicators to bring us to the knowledge of where we are right now. Now, now stick with me. We're going to call them lagging measures. Now, this, this is a truth that is true in every area of your life, in business, in your marriage, in your fitness, Lagging measures. It's things that have happened in your past. And then there's things called the leading measures that are in your future. Things that you are planning and doing on a regular basis. Stick with me. It's like the difference of being in your car and looking through the windshield versus the rearview mirror of what's behind you. When you look in the windshield, you're looking at leading measures that are causing you to get to a certain place. A lagging measure looking behind you in the rearview mirror is indicating what you have done. So, the lagging measures right now of your net worth of money, how much you've got, listen to this, is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Right now, your weight Oh, Pastor, let's get off that. That's not too spiritual, okay? Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Everybody with me? Let me go another one. Your clutter... It's Labor Day, so stick with me. Your clutter in your house, all the, the, the cleanliness is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. Listen to this. You get what you repeat. You get what you repeat. Say it again with me. You get what you repeat. If you'll remember that, you'll realize how important it is to have the right habits. And the habits will come back to being fueled by your belief system of who you are. 
This is so critical. I'm going to speak something similar to this in a few weeks at the end of this series so that, again, it's brought back to our attention. If you can get this, I'm telling you right now, not just as a, uh, an exciting or another bullet point, but this will change your life, this message today. You get what you repeat. The reason why we do not get this is usually one thing does not make a major pro or con against what we're doing. You know what I mean? You're going to be all this. You're going to quit. You're going to be healthy in your body. So you're going to stop eating junk food. Now now watch this. One time eating yo-yos and ding-dongs and Twinkies isn't going to kill you. And everybody knows that. But also, if you choose not to eat it, it's not going to make you look like a muscle man. So that's why we are deceived in a lot of times thinking that the one thing, the repeated thing over and over, it's going to take time. And we could get into seed time and harvest later. But the thought is, those lagging measures right now in your life, you can look back and go, you know, there's some things that I don't want in my life right now. And I look back and I go, it's because of those habits that I've created in my life that causes me to be right here. So I've got to do some things to get me to where I want to go. The leading measures. I'm going to choose what to eat. I'm going to have a good marriage, so I'm going to speak nice things to my spouse. It got quiet in here on that one, but you know what I mean? We're going somewhere. So stick with me on this. I want you to see this because we all want to experience the abundant life. We want to experience the freedom, the satisfaction of the goodness of God in our life. And it's very important to realize it's those daily habits of what we're doing. It's like having a great testimony could be considered, listen to this, a testimony because you look back and you go, look at what God has done, all the things because I've chosen to walk in this way. I can see it now. People say hindsight's twenty twenty, but let me tell you, a lot of times you don't want to have good eyesight if you're not doing good things habitually in your life. I want you to look at John chapter 10. Today we're going to read this passage of Scripture, and I've got a couple more, and then I'm going to do a tag team with Gwen. She spoke uh, last week on the key to the kingdom of God, and she'll come up here and kind of tie this message today in with that message. This is John chapter 10, and Jesus is talking to a group of people that are Pharisees and also the crowd that are around, and I want you to see this from a different light. Maybe you've never seen it. But before I begin, I want to tell you the title of this message is The Door. The Door. The Door. Remember, you get what you repeat. John chapter 10 says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Listen to this eternal truth. Eternal. Forever. Always, always going on. It's an eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than coming through the door or the gate reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate and becomes the gatekeeper or and because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the door or the gate to let him in. And the sheep recognize the voice. Did you hear that? The sheep will recognize the voice of the true shepherd for he calls his own by name and leads them out for they belong to him. And when he has brought out all his sheep, he walks ahead of them and they will follow him for they are familiar with his voice. But they will not run away from the, but they will, sorry, but they will run away from the stranger and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. Now listen, after he's talking this, verse 6. It says, Jesus told the Pharisees this parable, even though they didn't understand a word of what it meant. Duh. They were just going, do what? I, I want to just kind of put something in here. I believe that when Jesus is talking like this, he's bringing them to change in their belief system, and they're going to be either going what? They're either going to accept it, or they're going to want to throw rocks, fight, or they're going to run away in uh, fear, or just, I I'm not going to do that. But it's all based on fear, except receiving it as a change in their belief system. 
So let's continue. Verse 7, it says, So Jesus went over it again. I love that. Let's say it again if you didn't get it. He went over it again. I speak to you eternal truth. I am the gate. So in other words, if you didn't get that the first time, Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the gate for the flock. And those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal, but the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway to enter. Now watch this. What are we all seeking? That state change people will go to numerous ends to be addicted to all these things to bring about a state change of happiness. But Jesus says this, hey, let me, let me save you some money. Let me save you some time and you'll go right to what's going to give you what you're looking for. You know why? Because I made you. Jesus says, I know what you're looking for. He says this, I am the gateway to enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I, Jesus says, I have come to give you everything in abundance. Now, now at this, if you read on, it says that they're divided. The Pharisees are so mad at him, they begin to go, he's demon-possessed! And again, they, they want to fight. When the belief system is challenged, they think, that's not what we believe. If, if you read it, the next part at a festival, it says that they finally go, come on, just tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, I've already told you through my, my works what I've done. But you would not believe. There, there's something about people that want to, want Jesus to tell them, make them, and do, but then again, they don't realize how much freedom we have in our free will to choose. And we'll get into this in weeks uh, that follow, but when God gave a man dominion in the garden, He gave us free will to choose. And I think a lot of times we want to blame God for things that are happening that we have the privilege of free will to choose, and we've chosen the wrong thing. But I'm not going to preach that today. So Jesus says, I've already told you that I'm the Messiah. And and watch this. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, and we've kind of hinged on this, and and this will be a huge passage of Scripture when you go back to the authority of the believer. So I want you to remember this. Gwen mentioned it, uh, and I mentioned it several times. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Here we go. It says this. When Jesus is in... uh, Caesarea of Philippi, I believe it was, he said, what are the people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they, listen to that, believe that I am? Everybody with me? Because this is critical. Who who do people that you walk around with, who do they say? Because those are the people that have seen me uh, do everything from raising the dead to healing blinded eyes, feeding 5,000, man with a, a... you know, disabled hand is healed immediately. Demons are, are actually testifying that I'm the Son of God. Now, let me ask you, who are people saying that I am? And, and do you remember what they say? Let, let me show it to you. They answered, some com- are convinced. Listen to that word. That they're convinced. that They have a revelation that this is who you are, which we know is totally wrong. They're convinced you are John the Baptist. Why, why isn't, well, where's John the Baptist? He's already beheaded. So Jesus somehow was baptized by himself, you know, by himself in the Jordan because John baptized him. So I don't know how, why they came to that conclusion, but some are convinced that he was John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, now listen. This is very important for us in our identity of the authority of the believer. If we get to the place and we're going to question circumstances that arise in our life and how we walk those circumstances out, the, the, the hardest thing to walking out those things in our lives, those circumstances, is going to be patience. 
If you have the revelation and you're convinced that He's not Jesus, the Son of God, and I'm not, I haven't gotten there yet, but if you're not convinced, if you're convinced as these people that He's just a good guy, good teacher, man, is He entertaining? Could, could He do fish and chips again? That, boy, those are better than Long John Silver's. I tell you what. Whatever it is, He's not that. You know the whole thing uh, about he's either a liar because he said he was the Son of God, or he's a lunatic because he said he was the Son of God, or he actually is the Lord of Lords. So let's continue. And verse 15 is such a key to your life today. But you, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. So I, I can imagine the tension could have been cut with a knife. He's, he's looking around at his disciples. But who do you? They say I'm this, but who do you say that I am? So it's easy because we can read it on the screen. We can read it there and go, well, of course he is the Son of God. As Peter jumps in and says this, you are the anointed one. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He is declaring something that is more than just a bunch of words. He's saying to this man, listen, a man sitting or standing right here, you're God. Now again, allow that to resonate in your, in your being. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. You, who I've been walking with, talking with, I don't have all the revelation of who you are yet, but he says, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Now listen, as you and I, as easy as this sounds, and you go, is that it? As easy as this, the way that you answer that question for yourself is the start of the authority of the believer. Who do you say that I am? Now we know that words are sometimes cheap. We can just throw them out and not realize how expensive it was that we just threw it out. Because you... You've heard me say that every time that you get a word from God, there, there's a test that comes. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, and in the middle of the lake, the, the storm comes, and they have to put that word to the test, do you actually believe? A lot of times when we get to that point of being in an authority position, and Jesus says, Why? what's up? Who do you say that I am? That includes the three big prayer requests. As a pastor, I've said it before, the three big prayer requests are, our first one is usually universal. Maybe not for you, but universal. I, I need help in my finances. I, I, I just, you know, it's hard to pay the bills and, you know, whatever it is, legitimate or not. God help me in my finances. So let me ask you the question as he asked them, who does, who do you say that I am? Okay, the second one is usually our healing. Sometimes we get in a place where we're, we're sick or, or maybe we kind of, you know, might, might have some kind of illness and, and that includes COVID or whatever. And we're going, God, I don't know if you can heal me. The, the question isn't placed in front of you. Who do you say that I am? You, you getting this? The third one is usually in our relationships. And we all know that it's the other person in the conflict that is the problem. Amen. <laughs> Including our spouses. I just wish sometimes Gwen was right some of the times. Now 
know, now we laugh at that, and the reason is kind of it gives us a little pain relief a little bit because sometimes we go, God, God they're just being a knucklehead. The guy at work, the boss at work, my wife, my husband, my whatever, you know. And, and, and again, I want you to ask yourself, who do you say that I am? Jesus. Now listen, as we're walking in our identity that we're the righteousness in Christ Jesus, God says, come on, come on up. Begin to walk out your identity of who you are. Who do you say that I am? You're the Son of God. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Now watch this. This is, this is something that has been given to me by a mentor of mine, a revelation that I keep going over in my mind. And in the future, we're going to do it in a different way. And I'm going to turn a different angle and we're going to do it this way until we get it. This morning, I'm going to use charades kind of to do this. And then maybe we'll bring in props and then we'll do pictures. And maybe one day this projector will turn back on by faith, even if we have to pay for it. Anyway. I want you to picture a door, okay? But next to it is another door. Two doors right here. But there's only, there's two openings, but only one actual physical door. So anytime that a circumstance appears in your life, and you have to ask that question, who do you say that I am? Jesus. So every time that you open the door and saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, you're opening that door and you're closing it on the devil. See, the book of Genesis, you know the story of Cain and Abel. God shows up to Cain and says, sin is crouching at your door. In the King James, it says he, giving it not only a personality, but actual a physical picture in our mind of sin just crouching at your door. Why don't you, why don't you close the door on God so that I can come on into your life? So what happens is we go through a, a financial test in our life. It might be our fault. Did you hear me? But it might not be your fault. Have you ever had a flat tire and you needed to replace your tire and you didn't have enough money to replace your tire and you're going, I was expecting that tire to last for another million years. No preparation on your part. Maintenance. I hate maintenance. The older people, they go, I got maintenance because I know I've been there before. The younger people are going, I hate that maintenance. When a financial crisis comes in our life, it is easy to walk in a different identity of who we've been confessing. I'm the righteousness in Christ Jesus, and I have authority over circumstances. Here's what we do. A financial difficulty comes in our life that is banging on the door. Let me in. We want so bad in our flesh to confess. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't have a clue if God can take care of me. You're opening the door and closing it on Jesus and allowing that circumstance to come, that sin, that, that evilness to come into your life. And that is something that can habitually take over your life. You can look back in your life. You can see the lagging measures that could be taking place in your life. Before Gwen comes up, I want you to look at this. This this is going to bring it all together in my portion. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. If you've grown up in the church, you've usually heard this part of this passage numerous times. Behold, I stand at the door knock. How many people have ever heard that before? Let me read it to you just to put this on. This is the Passion Translation. Behold, I'm standing at the door. Remember my illustration up here. This is Jesus talking to the church in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. 
Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Now, now a lot of times we've heard this in a salvation message and, and I, use it. But actually, this is a passage of Scripture that Jesus is talking through John in His revelation to the church that are saved. They've already heard the Word of God. Kind of like you and I. Behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. If, see there's a, there's a you know, transition there. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come in to you and feast with you. I, I'm all up for feasting. I'm all up for having life to the full, to the overflow. I'm all up to having the satisfaction and the freedom. If, if you open the door, I'll come in and feast with you and you will feast with me. Now, here, here's what's left out a lot of times. And to the one who conquers, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne just as I conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. Another passage of Scripture says that we are overcomers because He was an overcomer. But listen to this. I, this is going to ring, hopefully, in your life. That word overcome or victorious in the Greek actually means this. One who continually, repeatedly, and habitually conquers. So in our illustration of the door is every time a circumstance comes... It says, who do you say that I am? And you open the door to Jesus and you close the door on the opening to let the evilness into your life, the fear, doubt, and unbelief, the FUD, fear, unbelief, and doubt. Every time you're doing that, you are allowing a habit to develop in your life that's a leading measure that weeks, months, years down the line, you're going to look back on your lagging measures and see the authority of the believer's trajectory as taking you somewhere positive. And all of a sudden you begin to, let me say it this way, as you're faithful to the Word of God, one day all of a sudden you say, wow, I'm fruitful. When you begin to understand that these little things, well, it doesn't really matter because it's just one thing. I'll just eat one day of junk food. I'll just put a little fear, doubt, and unbelief. Just a little bit. Come on, we all do it. you got to get to the point where you go, I am not going to. And one time, now again, I'm not talking about legalism, but I'm talking about freedom in your life to say, nope. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Because it's it's the just the one time that becomes the second time. It's easy to then do the third time. On your finances, trusting God and being a good steward. In your relationships of walking in love. Oh boy, I'm pretty loving, but that guy cut me off and get out of your car. You're not walking in your identity. Come on now. If God has given us dominion on this earth to be able to, to see things different, to be able to walk in His love and His guidance and put us on the right track, it's almost like embarrassing that we don't. I, I want Gwen to come on up and, and she's going to, again, you know, I, I built the... Come on up. I, I scream Sunday, so she's going to put a little frosting in the cherry on top. Okay. I was getting into that. I wanted him to keep on going. What what good word. You know, when we're... John was talking about um, circumstances and how they'll they'll speak to us. You know, we see that often in the New Testament where Jesus, he's telling them in Matthew 16... That whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, any time that there's a principle in God's word, it'll be in, in scripture more than once. Does that make sense? So where else do we see that? 
if you go over a couple more chapters in Matthew 18, 18, again, Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, you know, how does that happen? How do you and I then, what's the practical application of that? The practical application, one of the keys to the kingdom that he's talking about to, to Peter is he's, remember he said on the early outset, who do you say that I am? He's saying you've got to declare out your mouth. You have something to say about this. You have to declare out your mouth. Who do you say that I am. In any situation in our lives, that question arises. That's why this message is so practical for us day in, day out. It was not a one-time thing. There was a revelation that came when Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. There was that initial power that came with that declaration. But Peter had to say that again, didn't he? Remember, there were other situations that Peter had to declare who Jesus is in this situation. You and I have to recognize that in our lives over time, there are experiences, there are are things that occur, circumstances that will speak to you and say, who now? Who now? Who in this season? Um, John mentioned some some basic, uh, three basic things, financially, relationally, and in healing. Those are three major components. But you know, they look different. It's not always just about a headache. It's not always just about a cold. There can be a cancer diagnosis. But if you have not learned to say and declare who Jesus is when you've got an allergy attack, then where are we going to be when there's a larger diagnosis? And again, we're speaking about truth here today. The thing is that circumstances look a little differently. But we can determine, there are times that we can make decisions in our life. And that's what we do when we gather, you know, and when we spend time in word, whether you're gathering with a group of people. And you may be in a worship time right there and you're saying, I I never again am going to question my salvation. Have you gotten there? Where you, you are my savior. That's it. So then any thought that comes to mind, you are my savior. And the enemy, eventually, he won't be able to get you off course in that area. Some of you, you're sitting here and you've been, you've had salvation experience years and years ago. And you're convinced of your salvation. The enemy's not going to ask you about that then. It's going to look different in another circumstance. He's going to ask you something else. There may be guilt and shame that come about an action or a behavior. And so if we are not ready to, in every circumstance, declare that Jesus is our Lord in that circumstance, that he is the final authority, you know, there's something to making him the final, making his word. I want want to clarify that. You know, oftentimes we'll say, well, Jesus is Lord of my life. We have to know specific passages, right? You don't have to maybe memorize them word for word. It might be a good place to start. But we have to know some things that we can speak out about who he is in that situation. Because Jesus, here's what God did. When he spoke the earth into existence, when he said, let there be light, when he formed the earth and then he, uh, you know, spoke light into darkness, He changed situations and circumstances by his spoken word. And then he also guided Adam and Eve into doing that very same thing. I just submit this to you. When Eve fell, when Adam and Eve fell, it was not just that that thought, the words. If if they had not bought into the words that the enemy said, there's something else for you. If they had not bought into that, then there never would have been a fall. In the same way, when those circumstances talk to you and say, not this time, I know that the Lord brought you through in victory last time, but this is a different diagnosis. This is a different situation with your kids. You've never been here before. What we have to have ready in our hearts, those lagging measures are having stored up his word, having stored up his word so it's in our heart in abundance. Don't be afraid about misquoting the word. I mean, you might want to go back and 
and say, did I say that exactly right? But when a circumstance comes, you, you know certain things from the scripture. Lord, you are my provider. My God supplies all my needs, and all means all, right? So even though the circumstance looks different, even though it's it was the refrigerator breaking down last week, and now this time it's the car, my God shall supply all my needs. Yes, his word still works in this circumstance, in this situation. Who do you say that I am? Today. How does that apply today? And our answer should always be the word. You know, Jesus, even when thoughts, uh, temptations came his way, you remember that he was tempted. Um, and even when the enemy came to him and, and tempted him, when he was hungry in that situation, he'd been fasting and um, tempted him th three different times, three situations. Each time Jesus said, the word out his mouth, and that's how he defeated those thoughts and ideas, those ideas, why don't you do this? So I think the challenge of the believer is recognizing that voice, because oftentimes we see circumstances, and we think, we, we go into our natural thinking, well, what should I do in this terrible situation? And we tend to think, oh, well, maybe this is all my fault, so then the word doesn't apply here your fault, the enemy's fault, whatever. If it's destruction, remember what John read out of 10, uh, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life. How do we get life applied in a situation? How do we speak life applied in a situation? Declaring what God says over that. That's how you take the keys Take the keys to the kingdom and apply them. You know, keys denote access. You, you probably have a set of keys in your purses, in your pockets. You have keys. They denote access. They denote authority. You, you don't have a key to this person's house because you're not paying the mortgage. And so keys denote access. God has given you. He has delegated his authority in the earth through his word. So why is it that some Christians walk in a different level of victory? I'll use myself. Why am I walking in a different level of victory than I did 20 years ago? Because I've learned a few keys. I have learned that this does not work. Jesus, Jesus, help me. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, God, oh, God. Dear God. That's vain repetition. It's not a key to the kingdom. And, you know, Jesus is moved by your, your, your sadness, your sorrow, your grief, but it's not going to give you access and authority into a door. What are the keys to the kingdom? He has delegated his authority to you by his written word. Now, listen, not just to you because, I want to make this clear, not just because you're a Christian, now, the only way I can clarify that is, is every Christian walking in victory? Do we always have victory in every circumstance? I haven't. But when I learn to use the word, the right key in a situation, rather than just thinking, well, I'm a Christian. What happened there? Things ought to always work out. There are keys that open access and open doors of authority. There's such streamlining and strength in that. And what it does is it keeps us on the right track. Um, last week we just referenced um, John 15. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, I'm going to stick the word then in there because it, they go together. If you abide in me, Jesus said, Jesus is the word. If you abide in me, you see, guys, it's going to come back to you. You're going to have to read your Bible. You, you, there's no shortcuts to victory. You're not getting to be victorious. Off you go. There are no shortcuts to victory. You are going to have to get the word in your life. There's keys to the kingdom. We have to pray and read our Bibles during the week and not just hope that John's going to give us an amazing gourmet meal, but you're going to be hungry come Tuesday. 
So if you abide, if you abide in me, Jesus said, and my word, the Bible, the written word of God abides in you, then you can speak. If you, ha if you know the written word of God, you know a few passages, then you can speak. Then you can say, right? If, you're, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. Then you can ask what you will, and it will be done for you. That's a huge, huge word. That's a huge promise. Are you and I seeing those things happen in our life? I admit, John and I, we, we have had a couple of discussions lately, and we are so excited about what the Lord is doing in our lives. I'm not talking about in here. I'm talking about John and Gwen Miller at 14105 Maxwell Court. We're excited about what the Lord is doing in the Miller family because this stuff is going to work in your life and in my life. We're sensing that God is taking us, he and I, to a new place. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you're a part of our lives because that will, of course, include you. God's called us to be your pastor, so that will include you. But I want these things to work in my life Monday through Saturday. If his word abides in us and I have a few keys, what's some practical application to you today? Let's say that you have a $5,000 debt at home. Guys, I'm telling you, the word's so practical. I, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. If you have a $5,000 debt at home, go to the house, get out that paperwork, and lay it down. This is what we've done in our lives. Lay it down there. Lay out the debt paper. I'm listening to somebody who just got a lot of debt freedom. Lay down the papers. Get the word of God out and put it right there. This is only if you want the $5,000 debt released. If not, you don't have to listen to the thing I say. Put the word of God there. Find a passage or two. I mentioned the one, my God shall supply all my need. Now you're going to have to look at that and say, I need the debt paid. If the devil can say, no, you don't, you deserve it, then he's already got you. Close the Bible and just move on and keep paying the, the debt and hope you pay it off. I'm telling you, if you will apply that word to that debt, if you recently got a medical diagnosis, usually that comes with some kind of paperwork, prescriptions or something, you can put that right there and you can get out the word. It's your covenant. This goes back to the covenant. Who you are in Christ Jesus, what he has bought and paid for you. I'm not asking you to trust in your financial abilities. Now, you do need to learn, you know, once he gets you out of debt, let's don't do that again. Let's figure out next steps. So you got to make some good choices. We're not discounting that. John talked about it. that's what this is all about. You're going to have to choose to take up your authority. You're going to have to choose to trust in, in God in every situation and circumstance. Trust his word. But if we can apply his word, those prescriptions, we lay that stuff, that the doctor's diagnosis, and then we get out one or two scriptures. Lord, your word says this about this. I mean, you make it as concrete as you want. There have been times that I've taken the word of God and I've put it on my mirror, and I keep renewing my mind to that fact. Because what talks louder? The circumstances can get so loud, and there'll be one more thing, and if you're not binding those circumstances, and you know, Jesus said to the, the storm, he said, peace be still. Well, that's King James. What would we say today? Shut up. <laughs> what do you say in your circumstances? Be quiet. Don't tell me about that debt anymore. I say my final authority is my God shall supply all my need. And then, oh, I'm telling you, there's just so much. If you're, if you're a tithe payer and you're having financial difficulties, if you know your covenant that Malachi 3 says to the tithe payer that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. Now listen, that's so huge that it takes a little bit more than just looking at it once. 
you got to renew your mind to it. That's why you want to keep that out. You might want to write it down and put it on your refrigerator and go back to it. We've got some passages on our, on our refrigerator at home right now that we're looking at. Part of it includes you in this church. And so we're looking at that, and we're saying it when we go to the, we go to the refrigerator. Lord, your word says, all grace abounds toward me in every situation and circumstance that I encounter. Who do you say today? And then what, there'll be another, what about today? What about yesterday you were feeling good? But today you're, you're not feeling so good. What do you say about that debt today? Watch what comes out your mouth. Refuse. I'm working on this more and more. Refuse to say a negative thing out my mouth about situations and circumstances. I'm telling you, you will be hard-pressed to get me to say one bad thing about my children. And I know, I know them. I know their idiosyncrasies. But I am not going to say one bad thing about him. them. I am declaring things over their life. I want good things for their future. I, I will not begin to talk badly about my husband. I may know all these things. And, you know, sometimes temptation can come up. Why? It's a relief of the flesh. It feels good to gratify the flesh. All of a sudden, I look better. If I'm telling you things about my husband, all of a sudden, you might think, wow, she's so smart. I don't know. That would be dumb. But anyway, you, there's reasons why we sometimes have negative words that we speak over situations. My boss, and we'll begin to go off. If you want favor in your circumstance, don't do that. Speak his word. His word will bring change in a situation. And then we're going to shut the door. We're shutting the door on the devil by refusing to say those things out of our mouth. When you're at a doctor's appointment, of course you're going to tell them your circumstances. Don't get in a ditch over there, right? Don't get in a ditch and think, you mean you never talk about anything negative? That's not what I mean. I mean, I don't make, remember when John uh, referenced habits? It's what you do continually all the time. That's who you really are. That's, that's what really shows up in your leading measures, what you do all the time. So I may need to share something, a negative situation with somebody. I may need to get counsel on something. I'm talking about that. But I'm not going around sharing it with everybody and making it part of what I believe. As I talk about things, I begin to believe them. So if I were to speak negatively about family members, even though at first I might, I might even be joking and I might not believe all those negative things I am saying about them, I'm just joking. If I continue in that, over time it forms my belief systems. Remember what John's taught us about belief systems? What we say over time is it becomes it's in tandem with our belief systems we've got to watch got to watch you know God's given us plenty of keys many keys in his word to unlock doors of prosperity to unlock doors of health and healing to unlock doors of deliverance for family members, of deliverance for ourselves, to unlock doors of promotion. The Bible says when the righteous are in power, the people prosper. What power do you have? You have the delegated authority that has been given you by the word of God, the spoken word of God. John mentioned a dear friend of ours who we were able to spend time with this week that just ministers and pours into us. He's an apostle of many pastors. And so as, as we were just sitting and, and spending time with him, just the transfer of love and anointing that came through his words. You see, so many of you, God wants to take you beyond just this happening in your own life, and he wants you whole, healed, delivered, set free. But there are people in your life and in your circle that are waiting for someone to speak the word of freedom, to give hope and life in their situation. That's what we're called to. It's bigger than us, so let's, let's unlock those doors in our own life and with, it's from glory to glory that he transforms us and changes us. It's from circumstance to circumstance. If you just recently missed it on an issue, you're thinking, oh, I'm just thinking about something. I wish I had spoken the word over that at my house. 
Remember, don't come in here and think, oh, I'm going to speak the word on a Sunday morning and get all kinds of victory. God is so good, but it's what you're doing day in and day out at your house. you got to speak the word at your house. And so with that, what's going to come is long-term change, long-term transformation. And it won't be one person you know, you heard the preaching of the word, so we're grateful that God uses people. But it'll be your victory that you forge. You and God forge that victory. You can do anything the word empowers you to do. Good. I told you, cherry on top. All right, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is... Again, remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross, our covenant. This is the agreement. Remember, a covenant is when you cut covenant with somebody, all of their stuff now belongs to you, and all of your stuff now belongs to them. Aren't you glad that we cut covenant with God? Because <laughs> we don't got that much stuff compared to Him. So, so watch this. Today, I'm, I'm going to use what I have in my hand as an illustration before we take the Lord's Supper together. It's a check. Everybody, goes, oh, everybody under 20 goes, what is that? <laughs> it's a check. It, it is a piece of paper, but it's my signature saying that what is in my account in the bank can be transferred, in this case, to the chapel. Okay? It's a piece of paper, but it is part of the agreement of a check that I am drawing on Whose account am I drawing? Am I drawing on Dustin Milliken's account? Kind of wish I would there, but that's another. Story. How about how about Homer's? No, this is drawing on what I've already deposited in my account. Sookie, sookie. Now watch this. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and, and what we're doing is we're we're remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. When we get into the situations, as we talked about the storms and the circumstances that begin to talk to us, you and yourself, remember, you're not the righteous. You're only the righteous in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? That's where this gets all off track. People go, well, all that. You know, if I had hair, I could flick it back. Throw out a hip, you know, like have an arrogant personality. But it's not us. It's what Christ Jesus has done for us that gives us the ability to draw on his account. Well, that, that'll get you fired up. And I, I, I thought it might get a little bit more exciting, but all right. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. I, I will give this, but I'm going to put it in my pocket right now. All right. Father, thank you for sending your Son and dying on the cross for us. And God, I... Thank you. I thank you because in, in this um, habit that we have of taking the Lord's Supper, it helps us be reminded, in our case, monthly, God, of what your love has done for us. And therefore, by your word, of what that privilege is for us that believe. And Father, we believe. Now, now, church, if you'll take the, the cracker. God, we believe that this bread represents your body. That Jesus, that you gave for us. That God, when we do what you've asked us to do and believe what you've asked us to believe, God, we're opening the door for you to come into our life. And again... Feast with us. And Father, that as we do that, we become overcomers in this world. And God, today we take the body of Christ with a thankful heart of what you've done. Let's take the bread together. Now we're going to take the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. Again, we believe that, again, this is the covenant. We believe that by his blood, by his stripes, we are healed. This morning, 
Let's pray for Alex in his situation and his healing. And there's several of you that right now are going through health issues in your life. I know that Paula Pierce, we're praying for her. And there, there's several that just doesn't come to my mind, but we're praying for you. Let's take the cup together and believe in healing. Jesus, thank you so much for coming to this earth as a man and God proving and God fulfilling the law that you might be the sacrifice for our sins. That whosoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life. God, we thank you. God, for what you have given to us and who you are is love. Father, what you have spoken over our life as believers, that we are the righteousness in Christ Jesus. And that, God, that you have given us the ability to have authority over this earth, to be able to speak life, to be salt and light into a dark world. And we thank you for that. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. 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 In about 60 seconds, we'll dismiss and you'll leave this place. Some of you have had your belief system maybe just challenged a little bit. It's okay. That's how you stretch. Have you ever worked out after not working out for weeks and all of a sudden you go, wow, I'm hurting there. You know, I need to, I need to kind of work that soreness out. It's okay. Begin processing what you heard this morning. Begin to think about it. Begin to pray about it. And come next week expecting, looking, and longing for God to show up in your life even more than he did this week as we begin to grow from each one of those precepts upon precepts. In a few seconds, we'll dismiss. And I want to, again, encourage you, if you are a senior and you'd like to go to lunch with us, uh, you don't have to eat Mexican food. You can eat uh, chicken nuggets if they have them. Or uh, croutons. Those are always tasty, too. So, But... Uh, You'll get the privilege of eating with one another, and we'll just, instead of breaking bread, we'll break tortillas. All right. All right. Why don't you stand, and we'll, we'll pray one more time and be dismissed. God, thank you for allowing us to come free to your house and receive what you have for us. As we leave, God, we pray blessings on these people today, my friends. In your name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.